0: Welcome back to another episode of The Lanyard. This is Ben Hanton, and I'm your host on a weekly podcast where I like to interview people who are building interesting communities, making their towns more interesting, or maybe they're building awesome businesses and they're identifying as an entrepreneur. Those are some spaces that I have worked in in the past. I'm always interested in people who have come up with some sort of new solution to a problem, whether it's a stagnant town or fixing a problem that needed, was needed in the marketplace, and they created a company out of that. And I want to hear how they're building their companies and how they're building their communities. So that's what The Lanyard is. It's named after that feeling for when you go to a conference and you get that lanyard wrapped around your neck. There's some excitement to say, hey, we're going to learn something here, and that's what you can do right from wherever you're at. Stay tuned for today's interview. So today's show, we're going to be introducing you to Sister Mary Beth Wentzloff. She's the prioress of the Yankton Benedictines, which is a monastery that has been here since 1880 in Yankton, South Dakota. And you think about nuns, and we all probably have some image in our head of what a nun is, somebody who's praying, somebody who is Uh, Maybe quiet. You might think of something from your parents' time when they were in private parochial school and you heard about nuns who might have the ruler and were strict. Well, I think the image of nuns today is what I'm interested in, and I want to understand what a priorist does, what the Yankton Benedictines are all about, because they have a tremendous impact in this area, or have had at least, on our education system. And also in our health system, so Avera, one of the biggest healthcare providers in this region, came from the nuns, the Presentation nuns, the Benedictines, and uh, also Mount Marty College in Yankton. Here is was sponsored by the Benedictines, Presentation College out of Aberdeen, South Dakota, sponsored by the Presentation nuns. So I want to hear all about it from the person in charge of the Yankton Benedictines. So. On the show is Sister Mary Beth Wensloff. Welcome to The Lanyard. I'm joined by Sister Mary Beth Wensloff. Thanks for coming in. I understand today is your birthday.
1: It is. It's the big 5-3. So.
0: Well, that's fantastic. Uh, and so I imagine, you know, you're in a bar. We can give you the traditional birthday shot like we do anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's about nine in the morning, maybe we can do that some other time. Oh, <laughs>
1: well, I, I did. The nuns kind of got a kick out of it that I was going to a bar at nine o'clock in the morning on my birthday. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thanks for coming in. There's so many things that I've I, I, have questions about regarding the nuns and their role in the community and um and also just about you so i think where i'd like to start is is you know what is a prioress you are the prioress which i think you know to to a regular person that means the head honcho and so what kind of responsibilities does a prioress have
1: so well, that's a good question. And some days I'm still learning. <laughs> I've been in it since June of 2017. That's when I was installed. I was elected of March of 2017. So I've been in it about a year and a half. And if you think about a lot of the movies that you've seen on TV that have nuns in it, yeah. it's the, you know, the Mother Superior. That's okay, yeah. The, that's kind of what you can kind of think of. Um, one of the things that I like, la- St. Benedict, the sisters here in town are from the Order of St. Benedict. So we follow the rule of St. Benedict, who lived from 480 to 530. So we've been around... A long time, right? Right. But one of the things that he says in the rule is that the prioress is supposed to be the figure of Christ for the sisters, so we're supposed to stand in as the spiritual leader and also the corporate leader. So anything that has to do with our sponsored institutions or things like this, I represent the community.
0: You're the you're the one that signs the documents, makes the ultimate decisions. Yeah. So would it be fair to say? that you are kind of young for this position
1: well actually mother jerome who started the college and who is our prioress for 29 years she was 33 when she was elected i can't even imagine that but but that was a long time ago you know so i think it's uh, there have been younger ones but there have also been older ones so you know, I think it isn't It isn't about age. It's about one of the things that the rule says is that it's supposed to be a person that's chosen based on their teachings and their spiritual life. So I, you know, I, I'm hoping I can live up to that and for the rest of the sisters.
0: Can you give me an insight into what that election process is like? Is that, you know, because when you elect a new pope, there's there's some fanfare there. Smoke. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: so is there something similar or is or is it just the ballot process? No,
1: actually, it's a very prayerful experience. We started about a year ahead of time, oh. and we do praying for the person a year ahead of time, and we set goals for the whole community. And then when it comes to the actual weekend or the time that we're gathered for election, we say, okay, who? which sister can best lead us through those goals that we have set as a community yeah. for the next six years? It's a six-year term. So what we do is we uh, gather on that weekend, and we're all supposed to bring names of people that we think yeah. you know would be um, appropriate and that could maybe do the ministry for those six years.
0: How collaborative and inclusive is that process so when you talk about building uh, your goals and defining your goals? Is that something where current leadership has kind of got more of a voice, or is it like there's a whiteboard and we're saying— Let's throw out all the ideas. I want to hear everything in the room.
1: Now, here's the really awesome thing about the—one of the really awesome things about the Benedictine life. Chapter 3 of the Rule of Benedict says that as often as there is something big to happen within community, you bring the whole community together. And because sometimes the Spirit reveals even what is better to the youngest member. So we hear everybody, and everybody has a voice in that, and they're able to— you know, have, a, have an opportunity in the future of the community. So I think that's a really beautiful thing. Yeah,
0: so maybe not as hierarchical as you'd, as you'd guess, you know, if anybody has a voice.
1: Yeah, it's very collaborative.
0: That's cool. Um, so I want to say, uh, I, I guess we've talked a little bit about what being a prioress is, but what we haven't established is how you got here. So back up, where did you grow up? Where did you go to high school? Where did you go to college? Tell us your journey.
1: Okay, I was a a, a little bit of a normal person. Uh, you usually would think that maybe a person who was a progress went to Catholic school all their life, yeah. or not? I private school the whole time because I grew up in Miller, South Dakota. And we didn't have a Catholic school there. Right. And so it, it was a great...
0: Population of a 1,000, uh, 800? Oh, no, I
1: think it was at that time maybe about 1,200, okay. about 200 kids in the high school. But I was really involved in school. I was in plays and band and theater and everything and um because of that I think those were all good things that led up to leadership capabilities I was in a lot of clubs and uh so I look back now and I say okay god you know you kind of geared me up for for that throughout yep. my life but I decided to so I graduated from Miller High School in 84 and I was gonna to go to a different college. I was gonna to go to here in college. And I went there and it just wasn't right. It just didn't feel right. And so our priest and Miller said, Hey, I think you need to check out Mount Marty and he said, By the way, while you're down there, there's a convent that's attached <laughs> And I said, No, no way. I wanna get married. I wanna have twelve kids. So, um I he said, now just go there and check it out. And he said, you know, see what you think. So I get down there and I, in my head I said, okay, the first nun that comes up to me that says anything to me about being a nun, I'm going to Decker. <laughs> <laughs> so for any of you out there who knew Sister Martin Mergen, um, some of you may know Amy Majors, it was her aunt. So anyway, um, Sister Martin came up to me and she my November of my freshman year, and she said, hey, we're having a retreat over at the monastery, you know, in January, I think you should come. And I raised, you know, I was like, "Ah, no, that's just not for me. And she said, no, you know, think about it. And I said, well, can I bring friends? And she said, well, yeah, of course. So I took 12 friends with me over to the retreat. I thought safety in numbers. You know, if something goes south, they can always pull me out of there. <laughs> you wanted
0: 12 children. You brought 12 friends. Yeah,
1: there you go. Something See? about that number. Yeah, must be 12 apostles. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so I went to the retreat and it was like, oh. When I was there, I saw that the nuns were pretty normal. Mm-hmm. And one thing that really... um That really appealed to me is they did pray together, and that was very cool when you heard them all together singing and praying. That was very powerful, it was a real witness that isn't like most normal things today that you would see that in that one place. So, anyway, they prayed together, they ate together, they played cards together, they watched Wheel of Fortune together, and it was like. Gosh, this is pretty normal stuff, but there's something here. Well, then I went back and I was like, uh uh-uh, uh, nope, I'm, I still want to get married. I want to have all these kids. And now I think about it and I think, oh man, those poor kids would have... <laughs> 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 it's a good thing that that never happened. I would have probably been a control freak as a parent. But anyway, my sophomore year, um, our priest died at the college. So I ended up going to Mount Marty, obviously, and I loved it. There was something there. It was just a family. There was something warm. Um, the faculty and staff were great. It just felt like family. So my when the priest died my sophomore year, that was a pretty big devastation for me, and so Sister Martin comes up to me again and says, Hey, you know, I know that you're really struggling with this with this death. Why don't you come to another retreat? There's one over here. And at the end of my sophomore year, this was toward the end, I was like, Oh I went to this retreat, I took six friends with me this time and um I could just tell when I was coming back that something was touched my heart. And that oh, I think I really need to think about this, but I still didn't want to. I still wanted to be a nun. I wanted to be a mom.
0: Was and, was there? I, I guess at that time when you were struggling with that decision, was there was there some worry about what other people would think about oh, you?
1: Absolutely, that's a great question. So anyway, bottom line, my junior year went to a third retreat. This time, I didn't take any friends with me, and um. I knew in my heart that this is where God was calling me. And I went back to the college and I told my friends, you know, hey, I'm going to do this. And they're like, what took you so long? We knew that this was, we knew that you were going to do this a long time ago. So what took you so long? So, I mean, it really was nice because I do feel like I had that support of friends and family. Yeah. So that was, that was cool.
0: And so when you were at Mount Marty, what was your major?
1: Well, I had a double major and a triple minor. So I had an English and secondary ed were my majors. And then I had Spanish and religious studies and communication arts. It's kind of a theater major or minor.
0: So uh, while you're a student, are you at the monastery at the same time? Or yes. just okay,
1: yes, for about a year, and then I had student teaching to do, so yeah. I was doing my student teaching while I was already in the monastery. You had
0: a lot of things going on,
1: I did my whole life. It's just been like you like, like that. to
0: overload your schedule a little bit.
1: Well, it just happens, yeah. <laughs> well, so <laughs> I have a hard time saying no sometimes.
0: I, you know, as a bar owner, I do get to run into a few Mount Marty students. Now, did you get to have some fun times too, or were you kind of tied into? monastery life already um and so your studying would have been a breeze cuz you're up at 4:15 ah. in the morning and
1: <laughs> No, I actually that was I would say that that was a little bit hard. Yeah. Because I w- it was the end of my junior year so the beginning of my senior year and then I had an extra semester there to get all of the m- majors and minors in but after I entered the monastery then it was I lived over there my friends Right. my yeah, cohort of classmates were still at the college. In the dorms. Yeah. So it was a little bit of a break there and learning two worlds, really, and saying goodbye to one, not totally, you know, they were still all of my friends, but to learn a whole different way of life at the same time. Yes. That was interesting, but it was good.
0: So were there other young women your age who were new nuns, so to speak?
1: Yeah, actually there were. When I came to community, there were several that were around my age, um, not any from my class yeah. particularly. But And actually, Ben, that's a pretty cool thing. You know, you hear that there aren't a lot of nuns out there anymore, that people aren't just flocking to the monastery. We are still pretty lucky because we have had you know, one or two new ones every other year or so at the monastery. And that's not happening all over the place. So that's really, we've been kind of blessed. And the other good thing is our median age at the monastery is 74. The age is, and I know that sounds old, but from a lot of the other religious communities, they're in their mid-80s for their median age. So yeah.
0: So, so so do you keep, um, I think, around 80 people up there? Is yeah, that
1: we have 80 people right now, 79 in profession and one that is a novice. So she's in the initial stages of it there.
0: Excellent. So thanks for that information. Now, as you become um, a young person living outside of Miller, you've sprung yourself into this new life you've got way more academics than most students at that point Um, what were some of your releases to get back to some of that me time because I assume um, as a as a prioress you're either an extrovert or an introvert what would you identify more as and and how did you recharge was it with people was it with you time
1: Well, uh, when I was in college, I was a huge extrovert. I mean, off-the-charts extrovert. I got my energy from being with people, and now I'm just the opposite. I'm on the other side with the introvert. I get my energy from being by myself so that I can be with people. But a huge thing for me for um, recharging is fishing. I love to fish. If I could be a professional fisherman, I think that's what I would do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there's there's certainly some tournaments you could get into. I would think, right? You got uh, Aaron Reby up at the college, and some of these pro fishermen. So, right now, where, where are you fishing? Are you uh, right off the dock? Because the, the the nuns have some land on the Missouri River.
1: Yeah, we lost your... our dock though in the oh. flood back in 2011, and we haven't gotten it back. So, but I can't tell you my secret fishing places are <laughs> been. So... Well, so, I'm from northeast South Dakota. <laughs>
0: you know the Glacial oh, Lakes area. You have
1: good spots from up Webster, there.
0: and uh, that's it's pretty much the it's life up there these days is fishing. And my dad is right in the middle of that. I'm kind of burnt out on fishing. My my uncle was the chief of fisheries for the Game oh, Fishing Parks gosh. for 45 years. So it was like every time we had a spare minute we were out fishing and it just like burnt me out on the <laughs> on the whole thing. But my dad still loves it and he's, you know, ice fishes. He's in every slough. He's at on private land, public land. Um but I was up there for Christmas recently and every morning he's on the phone, you know, he's got it on speakerphone volume like ten, but he's calling the fishing hotline to hear about the latest updates of which holes are hitting. And uh I, I thought that was a that was the type of industry that needs its own podcast.
1: <laughs> Subscribe every morning and you got a new update of the, the
0: fishing report for your area.
1: I don't know. That sounds a little fishy to me. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, um, well, in 2009, I did a 30-day retreat. So it was kind of a quiet, away from here, I did it at um, in Minnesota Yeah, on um, Lake Pepin, actually, near Red Wing. And when I was there... I fished 29 out of the 30 days, <laughs> <laughs> but I loved it. It was great.
0: Oh, well, that's great. So let's talk a little bit about uh, this, the monastery. And so let's make sure we're using the right words here because um, it's the Benedictines. How do you, what is the monastery named? Because I think, you know, we hear of Sacred Heart and there are other Sacred Heart monasteries. This is the Yankton Benedictines.
1: Well, our, our, Term out in the public is Sacred Heart Monastery, but we're composed of. Benedictine sisters. And I always get a, you would love this, uh, owning a bar. It's not Benedictine, (laughs) the liqueur. (laughs) (laughs) It's Benedictine. So um, a lot of people do say Benedictine and it always makes me laugh.
0: And it's on the campus or at least adjoining Mount Marty College. So if you haven't been to Yankton and so the sisters started Mount Marty College, is that correct?
1: Correct. So we actually were here in eight, we ended up here finally in 1880.
0: Which I I think, if I remember right, that you you were called out here to help minister to the Native American population.
1: True. So a little bit behind that story, I don't know if you know the story beneath the story there, but we were from Switzerland, and I've actually gotten to go over to our mother house in Switzerland.
0: How many years do you have to put in before they send you to Switzerland?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I got to do a a Rome renewal program back in 2010. And that was about a five-week deal, four weeks in Rome and a week in Switzerland. So it was amazing. But to think that our nuns left those beautiful Alps to come to Standing Rock Indian Reservation in North Dakota. Yeah. So we actually ended up, Bishop Marty Got us down to Missouri. That's where we originally came to. And then he came down there and said, I need some help up north. So he said, Let's he brought all the nuns together and he said, Okay, let's take a little time to pray about this and to see who's gonna go. So he they all closed their eyes for just a few minutes and he looked up and he points, You, 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 and you. (laughs) So they're the ones who went up to Fort Yates in Standing Rock Indian Reservation. And the stories that I've heard from that, I mean, the sisters didn't have food. They were in a log cabin that had slits in the logs. So, I mean, it was pretty cold. They you know, Those were pretty tough years up there. Well, eventually they ended up down after um, near... Um, Redfield, uh, near Zell, South Dakota, we ended up there for a little bit and down in Vermilion. but how we actually got here. And that's kind of an interesting story. The Mercy sisters were here in Yankton before that. Do you know this story? No. Well, so... We needed to have a hospital started, and the bishop had contacted us, but what happened is the Mercy sisters that were here, their mother superior left in the middle of the night with her wedding gown on underneath her habit and got married to one of the German or Russian doctors during the middle of the night, in a house that is about three blocks away from oh, the monastery.
0: I know that's uh, the the Jerry and Jerry Weber, the the husband wife. They both have the same first name. Uh, they live in that house. It's on Green Street, yes, three hundred eight exactly. Green. Yeah, yes,
1: exactly. <laughs> so that
0: was the that was the head nun. Yes. Oh wow. So
1: and actually, that doctor was very wealthy, and so he had a cigar named after her. It was the Sister Mary Paul cigars. So because of that, I mean, and that was a pretty big tragedy for them. Yeah. I mean, you can imagine. And that scandal in the 1880s. You bet. So then, that's how we actually got here, and that's how, and then we we have had the hospital kind of ever since then.
0: Yeah, so tell me about that. So we're talking about Avera Sacred Heart Hospital started here, and then that grew into the Avera network with help from the Presentation Sisters, or tell me about that.
1: No, we all actually had our own individual
0: oh, hospital. So Avera so became had, the overriding corporation.
1: Right. So we had uh, the... Benedictine Health Services, and the Presentation Sisters had the Presentation Health um, Services. And we each had our own hospitals. So we had Parkston, and we had Yankton, and um, O'Neill, and then they had um, Mitchell, and Aberdeen, and Sioux Falls. And so we just said, you know what, this is crazy. We're in competition with each other, and we're trying to help the poor people. In the state for healthcare. So we said, let's come together. So, about in 1998, talks started and we brought people together from both communities and we said, let's put something together. So, then in 2000, that's when Avera came to be. And so now that's Avera is the umbrella.
0: Blossomed and yeah. bloomed, right? I mean, so it's, it's a- over
1: 18,000 employees. Yeah. 300 facilities in about 100 communities. So it's...
0: But when that happened, I assume you had to make compromises like giving up some control too, which probably pluses and minuses, right? Like for instance, are the nuns involved in the hospital here today in any formal capacity?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So actually, we have some of our nuns who are the sponsors. So our monastery council members for both the presentation sisters and the we form the sponsorship level, the very top level. And then we appoint three sisters on the system level. And so they're more in charge of the day-to-day kinds of stuff. But then we have a lot of sisters who are on boards. We actually have two of our sisters that um, work at the hospital as nurses, and then one works as a nurse out at Majestic Bluffs.
0: Oh, very cool. So
1: we do have some people still on the floors for Avera.
0: And the same, so similar then, I think we're, we're getting to Mount Marty, um, which was, so again, the the Presentation Sisters have their own college and, right. and uh, the Sacred Heart Nuns have their own college, but those two have kind of become their own entities. Is that... Is that fair to say?
1: Correct, yeah. We, we've we kept the the college systems separate just because we're in two different areas of the world for that. Yeah. And, um, you know, the reason that the colleges came about is our nuns were not nurses by nature. We came over here as educators and people of really just prayer, you know. So for us to be, I think about those first... Patients that had any kind of anesthesia from our nuns. We didn't know <laughs> I know that they're watching out for our nuns now, but you know, I think we needed some education and some formal nursing education. So that's how the colleges came to be because we needed to educate our nuns so that they would be educated in whatever ministry right. they were doing.
0: Well, and now you know, the school of anesthesia is, is like a big thing, right? Oh, yeah, yeah has been t- for tremendous. several years. Um, and it's known as a nursing school still, and education, others. But uh, one thing that's missing at Mount Marty College, and I want to get your opinion on this, is a football team. Well, <laughs> oh, you
1: know, I'm on the board. So, so I'm on the board of trustees. Yes. So I don't know how. <laughs> oh,
0: so you're saying there might be discussions happening and well, you can't disclose them here.
1: You know, um, I'd tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. So. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, Mount Marty's having a football team. <laughs> uh, you know, I think we need to be open to whatever areas of growth are going to help yeah. the college. So, you know, I don't know if it's happening right now, but...
0: It does seem like... So I've, I've moved to Yankton in 2002, and uh, it feels like we've gone through a few ebbs and flows with the college. I feel like it's in a really good place right now. Excuse me. These morning podcasts, they're tough on a voice. Um, But one of the things that, you know, it seems like there have been some major land acquisitions. There are donations. um, Enrollment seems to be creeping up. You seem to have the right president in place that everybody's excited about. It seems like things are on a roll. Is that fair to say?
1: You know what, Ben, we are really, really blessed because I would say we just elected a new CEO for Avera, too, Bob Sutton. We just elected him last summer, and he's phenomenal, and he has lots of great ideas for Avera. We have Mark Long, who is at the helm at the college he is a superb leader. He's forward thinking. He's got the personality to make things happen. Uh, I think people are fired up at the college. I think you know energy begets energy. Yeah, right. So I think once the ball has started rolling in both places, and not to say that um, you know we've we had a great CEO for Avera before Bob too with John Porter. Yeah, Yankton uh, but, guy. Yeah, he's the Yankton guy, but. You know, I just think we just need to keep thinking forward and what can we do best to we can't stay where we were in right. the 1980s. We're...
0: Well, and perhaps, you know, that is maybe one of the signals that was sent when you became prioress was that they said, let's get this 50-year-old woman involved <laughs> who's super involved in the community because we're ready to take some new risks and ideas. I don't know. Do you think that hit the, was part of the equation?
1: I, you could say that that was part of the discussion, you yeah. know, at the election. I I do think that our sisters are. We know there's a story. I don't know if you've ever heard this story about the eagle. Have you ever heard the? No, well, so the eagle is the longest living bird out in the wild, and it can live for a long time. But I just got this story from someone, and um, it's pretty cool. But after several years of living. Its beak gets long and overturned, so it can't eat well. Its talons become long and so it can't grab its prey. and its um, wing its feathers on its wings get really heavy and kind of cake to its its wings, so it has a hard time flying. So instinctively, the eagle has to either die. Or do something to continue to live. So if it continues to live, it has to actually fly up to its nest and it kind of beats its beak. So it sharpens its beak and it and its talons get, um, it takes the time to do what it needs to do to sharpen its talons. And it also, you know... Plucks out some of its feathers too, and then it can take a flight of rebirth. So I just talked to our sisters a little bit that I think we're at that point. You know, we're ready to take that flight of new rebirth and whatever that looks like at the monastery. And
0: yeah, because big risks and, and and big decisions made in the past. So you know, what's your next bold decision, right? I mean, you were the people who started a college in a hospital. That's those are big bold moves.
1: Well, and the other thing that I think, no no matter where we go in the next several years at the monastery, we want the people of Yankton to know we're the prayer force here on the hill. You know, there it isn't um, about what buildings they're doing or anything like that. It's that we want people to know that we're up on the Hill praying for this community. And, and we get a lot of prayer requests and a lot of, we also assist with a lot of, um. Oh, we work with the contact center and a lot of the local nonprofit boards here in town to help the people of Yankton. So, and we're trying
0: Excellent. We're going to take a couple minute break here, and we're going to get back to talk more with Sister Mary Beth Wentzloff. The presenting sponsor of The Landeard is Ben's Brewing Company. We are a brewery, taproom, and speakeasy located in Yankton, South Dakota. Our beers are on tap in several South Dakota cities. Visit us online at bensbrewing.com.
1: Good people
0: drink Ben's beer. I'm back with Sister Mary Beth Wensloff. We're talking about what it's like to be a prioress and the role of the Benedictine nuns in our community. Um, So, one of the things that that comes to mind for me is I was really great friends with Father Jack Garvey, who was a chaplain up at the monastery. He was the priest back in my hometown of Webster. Oh. And so he was just so different, you know, that's a nice way of saying it, I think, but (laughs) he, he was, uh, he was different than all the Catholic priests that we had had prior and the way he engaged the community. So like we had those CCD classes and we would, um, he would bring up topics that nobody else would. We, we learned a lot and we were just, it felt like there were possibilities, um, within religion that I didn't know existed before. Like you could be something other than just what is said in church and and still be religious. And I, and I think when he came to Mount Marty college or to uh, the, the the monastery and I happened to be down here, you know, he was, he was always inviting me up to like come listen to this lecture or come hear all these topics. And then he would, complained to me that I didn't have a decent Manhattan, and how come I didn't have a liquor license? And of course, I got one later, um, about <laughs> about three months into it, and then he died of an aneurysm. Uh-huh. But that's a long story to say that he was so happy about his time at the monastery, because he said, I'm just surrounded by ideas. These women are uh, educated, they're accomplished, they're always thinking, they're talking about ideas. And so I thought maybe we could talk about what is it like to be a nun outside of prayer? What are some of the things that these women are involved in? What do they do with their days? What
1: are their specialties? Sure. Actually, this is a great lead-in to our vows that we take. So one of the vows that we take, the old terminology for it is conversion of life. So what that means is what I was told what that meant when I first came to community is that um, we want to be a better person tomorrow than we are today so how do we continue to grow how do we can you know do we um learn a new recipe do we learn how to rollerblade do we you know how do we how do we make our lives better every day so one thing that is very valued in our community is to have an education and to have an appreciation of the art. so sisters are always signing up to go to the symphony when it's here in town or any of the concerts the, that we have here or plays or theater because it just enriches our life. And there, if it enriches our personal life, then we can bring that back to community and we'll have more discussion, you know, a more enriched discussion to have with people. So I think that that um, one of the things that Father Jack taught me and I worked with him because I was the director of campus ministry at Mount Marty for 21 years before I became prioress. And so he was the priest. So we worked together a lot. And one of the things that I think I learned most from Father Jack is the importance of social justice, you know, standing up for the poor, for those. There were many times and people did not know this, but out of his own pocket, Father Jack bought winter coats for our our lost boys from Sudan who went yeah. to school at the college, you know. So that yeah. was pretty cool.
0: So that was something that is a as you know, young people in Webster we had never experienced before because you would you would have a priest who would preach and not really be involved in your life any other way. And he was from the pulpit oftentimes talking about why he was a conscientious objector, why he didn't pay his income taxes and why he was um, involved with blood pourings with the Berrigan brothers and why, (laughs) uh, you know being down there with the Nicaraguans and the Sandinistas and all those things were important to him and let me tell you in conservative webster that was pretty <laughs> revolutionary and then you see this priest sitting outside of the the chapel smoking a cigarette greeting everyone on their way in and you're just like who is this guy <laughs> but but yeah he he never stopped you know into his 70s he was still looking for opportunities for doing the best social justice he could. He was particularly interested in the Native American oh
1: my, yeah.
0: population.
1: He actually did a lot of work with AIM
0: yes, way back right.
1: in that time. Um, the other thing I remember, well, you maybe remember this, if you went to his wake, he, one of the priests at the wake said that one time, Father Jack got a, a letter, an envelope in the mail from the IRS, and it was about paying his taxes. And he sent it back, returned to sender, pornographic Obscene material <laughs> pornographic <laughs> material inside. <laughs>
0: yeah. And, and so I know that if you don't know the, the rest of the story, you know, uh, so him not paying his income taxes, that sounds just like a lazy, convenient thing to do. But he would take that money that he was supposed to pay, and he would donated to the causes that he thought were, you know, representative. He his big thing was he wasn't going to pay income taxes if there was nuclear weapons. Right. And uh but anyway, a guy like that comes into your community <laughs> and and you know, fit in and and thrived because he was just empowered by ideas around him and right. um, I kind of wonder like I think some of those type of people may exist there too and some not at all. Like Sister Ann Kessler is one of those people that's been very involved politically over the years.
1: Oh, she ran for state legislature at one point and
0: lost. So there's no rule against that.
1: Well, you know, I I think now we'd put—this was way back, you know, a long, long time ago. But I think now we were involved politically, not Democrat-Republican so much, but more so— what's right, what's, how do we side with the side of the poor and the unfortunate and the people that don't have what they need. Mm -hmm. And, the you know, so I think to me, that is what it means to be political is standing up for the voiceless, you know, and helping those folk.
0: And then, you know, one of the other people that comes to mind are are women was when I moved to town, I was, uh, I had been involved on the board of the Sioux Falls Film Society and I had been just really involved in the film community, Um, and I was told immediately I needed to meet Sister Cynthia Bender, um, who was kind of one of the film experts up on the Hill.
1: And she's a hometown gal. She's right here from Yankton, and she actually had left community at one point and had come back to us because she said she just realized how how much she really did love the sisters yeah. and that spoke to me because it says that a vocation isn't just something that's imposed it's it's chosen you're chosen by God and you have to live with that will i mean you have to give into God's will and she did and so i think think all the wonderful things that that woman has done in yeah. this community and especially for the prison system you know she all she has done the all the things with the film and the foreign film society that she has and she works with. But a huge thing is her work with the prison. She she got that started where Mount Marty, actually, the prisoners could get a degree through Mount Marty. Oh, wow. So she was one of them that had started that, and that's pretty amazing. And there have been a lot of prisoners that have gotten out and have credit, uh, kind of credited their— um, clean record afterwards to her that she really inspired them to stay on the straight and narrow and do something
0: well and of course how the benders got to yankton was interesting too you know that story right i don't know well her i i don't know if it's her it's probably her great grandpa but he was a... And and apologize, but it's one of her relatives. He was the handler, the horse man for General Custer. Oh, my. And when they were in Yankton... And this this was in South Dakota Magazine, and, and she was quoted in there. Um, when they were in Yankton one night on their way west, uh, he got drunk, and he didn't show up in the morning. He overslept, and they left him.
1: Oh. <laughs> and so
0: not only did he not go off to, you know,
1: (laughs) kill innocent people. He also
0: wasn't killed and they, they established uh, the pop bottle company in town. And, uh, and that's why sister Cynthia's probably ended up in Yankton. (laughs) I
1: think God was watching over that whole situation. So, um,
0: um, go ahead. No, go ahead. So I was going to ask, uh, just about where you see things going. Um, in particular, uh, I am excited that I see the the nuns involved in things in town. I see you're active on social media. I see uh, just a little bit more presence knowing that you, that you exist. And I think that's better than a lot of businesses do, which is that you open your door and then you just assume everybody knows everything about you. It's not how it works. People don't have enough time or, or care in their life to to, to vote. And so you got to go out there and work it. And it seems like you guys are doing that. And I'm wondering what you think your role is with new media. Like, why are you on Facebook and Twitter? And why is your website so up to date? I know you just hired a new graphic designer. Tell me about, you know, some of the tactics, if you, so to speak, of how you reach your community.
1: Well... We knew that we needed to do something with that age group of people that are really into social media. Um, It's kind of funny because... um, some of the other religious communities have had stories where, not ours, but where some of their older sisters will come up and say to the younger members, can you teach me how to do that book face thing? <laughs> <laughs> Most of our nuns are, you know, knowing how to do Facebook yeah. and, you know, that, all that stuff. but. We knew that we needed to do something. So, actually, a lot of you may know Ray Lynn yes. Coldwell Schmidt now, uh, but we hired her as our communications director. And one of the things that we said is we need to get out there as far as not only Facebook, but Instagram and Pinterest and uh, Snapchat and the whole nine yards. So, um, one of the things that we do is every day we have a new posting on Facebook for sure, uh, because we. They're out there. They're looking for that kind of stuff, and we want to be in their face about that this is a real possibility, that it isn't just uh, marriage and single life aren't just the two vocations that are out there, that we're still a valid vocation. So yes. So we think that that's really interesting. One thing that we were talking a little bit about before the program started here is the nuns versus the nuns, N-U-N-S versus the N-O-N-E-S. And the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, is kind of the terminology for those of the millennial generation and under who aren't associated. They have none, uh, no uh, formal religious affiliation with Presbyterians or Methodists or Catholics. They just don't have any formalized religion that they are a part of. And so one of the things that we said is, why not you know let 's reach out to those people let 's see what are their needs what are what are they looking for so we 've tried different things now in the last couple of years that I think seem to be working we 've done a thing called you know you 've had the wine and canvas thing. We do a coffee and canvas on a Saturday morning, so we do a little prayer thing with it, and then they have time to socialize and they do a, a they paint a picture on a canvas so I mean those are kinds of millennial-ish things that we're looking at and trying to um, incorporate. So I think we're trying to look forward a little bit in that area. Well, Oh, go ahead.
0: I was just going to say one thing on on the social media that I I was impressed with was I think that a lot of people view social media as something that you just broadcast out, you just talk out. But um, I think the people who are most effective at it are actually people who listen to. And so one morning on Twitter, I was you know, upset about my night because I had a kid that kept me up all night. And then we got woke up by the monastery church bell early in the morning. And I said something flippant about it. And like 10 minutes later, I had a tweet reply from the, the Benedictine sisters inviting me to come worship. And it's like, oh my gosh, that's better than any business in town of just uh, responding and listening as opposed to just broadcasting when you're open.
1: <laughs> you know, I think it's kind of funny about the bells there, Ben. When I worked at the college, I also part of my time was I was the director of residence life. So the guys that live in Whitby Hall are the ones that face the bells. So when they come in as freshmen, they are not used to that at all. And it starts pretty early in the morning. (laughs) So they're like, sister, can't you tell the nuns to quit the bells? And then it's kind of interesting, though, because I've had senior guys that have said to me, man, I'm really going to miss the bells. You know, because it's right. a call for us to, oh yeah, we need to pray, we need to, you know, pay attention. A so reminder, I think that's kind of where cool. you're at. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, um, <clears throat> tell me about. Uh, I guess we we touched on it a little bit, but how does how does what you do sustain itself going forward? So I know that, you know, nuns take a vow of poverty. Is that correct?
1: No. Oh, actually. Interesting. Tell so me more. I was going to come back to those other two vows because we talked yeah. about conversion of life, but the Benedictines are actually different than a lot of the other religious orders because we take three. Most other religious orders do poverty, chastity, and obedience. We do uh, obedience, stability and conversion of life. So what obedience means is, you know, when you think of obeying somebody, sometimes that can have a negative connotation. But really what the word obedience means, it comes from the Latin word ob audire, which means to listen, to listen to. So we say that in the Benedictine community, we listen to the prioress, we listen to God, and we listen to each other. And that's how we make our decisions in moving forward. So that's one of the other vows we take. And the other vow is stability. So stability means not necessarily place. Like if we put, picked up and moved our convent to Puckwana, South Dakota, we would still be stable to each other because when we talk about stability as a vow, it's stability to the sisters. I am committed to the sisters of Sacred Heart Monastery, not necessarily to the building.
0: Gotcha. So if you so, lose everything it you will still exist.
1: Right. So like when we had the fire in nineteen eighty seven or ninety seven.
0: Tragic fire, right? I mean, yeah, it was, it was death. horrible.
1: One of our sisters yeah. died. But we picked up and for five weeks we were out at the human services center in an <laughs> old abandoned one of their buildings that had been shut down. So we were still Sacred Heart Monastery, Stable. just in a different place, yeah. right?
0: Yeah. And then you rebuilt. Um, and and so the the vow of poverty, so so doesn't exist in your order. It
1: does exist, and how it exists is we don't specifically take that vow, but one of the things it's implied for us because it says in the Rule of Saint Benedict that the monks and the nuns are supposed to live a very simple life. So I wouldn't just go out and buy yeah. an SUV on my own. You know, I would say what is for the good of the community. So it isn't about necessarily my needs, but what is for the good of the community as a whole.
0: Yeah. So, uh, but does that, and, and you know, I apologize if this seems insensitive, but it, does that extend then to inheritance? For instance, if your family were big farmers and you were going to inherit $2 million in land, does that become potentially then property of the monastery?
1: Well, Okay so maybe this is a better way to think about it in the in scripture in the book of in the acts of the apostles it talked about how the early apostles brought all of their wealth together all of the religious community that existed at that time, the early apostles, disciples, they didn't keep anything for themselves. They brought all of their money together and distributed it to, as people needed it. And that's that's kind of what we yeah. would do now. So one of our sisters just had surgery. Well, she doesn't pay for that, you know, by herself. Yeah. The community pays for that. So it's kind of like it's all one Yep. Common funds so that as needed, the sisters are taken yeah. care of whenever. So, like, I, I don't, I wouldn't. When I was working at the college, my paycheck went to the community for the good of the whole, mm-hmm. and then I, my needs were taken care of. Does so that make sense? It does. Okay. And,
0: but then let's talk about simple logistics. So, like, for instance, you you have an iPhone, so I do. so like how how does just how does that work? Do you say? Hey, I'm thinking about getting the uh, iPhone XS Max um, with 256 gigabytes because I need. I mean, how does just logistically some of that stuff work? Do you so, do you have a credit card to just say I can do what I want? No. Do you do you have to go before a group of of people to say here's? I think we should all get cell phones. How does it work?
1: Well, interesting. I used to teach a class at the college called Wisdom of Benedict, and so one of the things that it says in the rule is. You know, that all is distributed as needed for—and that if you don't need as much, be thankful to God that you don't. But if you do need more, be humble about asking for what you need. So I used to do a thing where I'd put on the board um, wants versus needs, and I'd draw a line down the middle, and I'd have people— and we'd get to the topic of cell phones, and we'd say, is that a want or is it a need? You know, well we talked to them, it could be both. Yeah. But what makes a difference is do you pick one that has all the bells and whistles right. to it, you right. know, and with all the bazillion apps and but on the know, other hand like that.
0: There might be some simplicity in having a good camera and so you have to step up a little bit. Well,
1: yeah. and a lot of our nuns travel. Not everyone yeah. has a smartphone in community, mm-hmm. you know, but if people are needing it for their jobs or for their yeah you know there ministries then they would ask for what they needed and um i'll tell you mine's an iphone se so it's a yeah, the, it's not the <laughs> most recent one yep. that's out there but it gets the job done and it's it does what it needs to do and i'm not i don't have a lot of apps on mine yeah. and i don't <laughs> i use it though when i'm traveling for safety and GPS kinds of things, right. so it is a kind of a needed thing for my role.
0: Absolutely. Well, and just communication. It's how I right. reached out to you. You know, it was right. was through uh through email, and I remember getting the reply from my iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> so um, tell me a little bit about group living. Um, so I believe if you've got eighty nuns, you don't all live. I mean, you live together but not, so there are these smaller groups. Right. What's And that then
1: actually changed in the 1960s okay. after Vatican II. We were huge. You know, at one time we were, before 1961, we were 500 sisters. Oh, my. And so we had sent— In Yankton? Yeah. Wow. Right up at the monastery. Yeah. So we sent 150. We started the Watertown Benedictines up there. They're from us. They're our daughter house up there. Um, Is that
0: why there's a Mount Marty College up there too? Right.
1: I mean, that's, I think that's kind of how it got its connections up Mm -hmm. there. Um, But... um,
0: Well, I was talking about group living. Oh, yeah, right.
1: So then after that, then we were still 350 nuns. So we decided, okay, we need to do something that it's more of a family setting. So late 60s, these small living groups formed within the house, and so everyone belongs to a smaller living group. So in my living group, my living group is called Jericho, and there are nine nuns that live in that group. So like just as an example, we get together at noon, and at night for noon prayer and for closing evening prayer, but then we also do socializing. So we play, um, we play all different kinds of games in the, in the groups or we watch TV together or I'm a pretty big fan of This Is Us. So (laughs) It's a tearjerker. It is, you know. (laughs) But anyway, then like Saturday night, we're going to celebrate my birthday together. And it's just a way that it brings, we have the opportunity to all eat together, you know, for all of our meals in the monastery. But this is just a way of having more of a family-oriented, kind of a small group that you can go to and just be with at the end of the day.
0: And so like any other family, there would be, um, you know— People who are in poor health, who are in better health, who can do more. But does that mean, I mean, since you're the... I sorry for the right, the wrong word here, but the grand exalted ruler. Does, does <laughs> okay, <that> be, <laughs>
1: Sheila Woodward's turn. <laughs> yeah, that's my lawyer. She told me
0: that you like that term. Uh just kidding. Um so I imagine somebody like you doesn't have to wash dishes or, or...
1: Oh wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I have my my turn Wednesday nights. And <laughs> actually that's that's the beautiful thing about the rule of Benedict is that we're all one. Yeah. You know, that the the prioress takes her turn at doing she's she's the head, but it's also she's the servant among servants.
0: And, and I think your status uh, in that community is not necessarily based on who has what degree or who has what job either. Right. right?
1: Even though we do value education it it's about when you walk through the door. So Benedict has a whole thing like on a seniority rank, system on rank. Okay, and so you go by exactly if you came to the convent to the monastery two minutes before someone else, you're higher in rank than they are. Yeah, but we really we're all in this together.
0: Yeah, it's pretty flat. It sounds like in terms of organization, um, except if it needs to needs to have rank, right? Right. Yeah. So, um, tell me about the wildlife preserve, because I know you have just a small amount of land, but it's down below the, the chalkstone Hill there. And it says no hunting. It's a preserve. Um, so when I need to go take a photo of a deer or I'm looking for turkeys or something to take a beautiful photo of, I can always find them there. What What do you, what kind of land do you own as a, as a monastery and what are the, Purposes for it? Is it just for preservation because of history? Do you have any goals of expansion in terms of the land that you control?
1: Ooh, that's a big that's a big question. Um, we do have. Um, a little house right down below the monastery that the sisters do use if they want to take some retreat time away, some quiet time or if or they have if, family in town. If they have family in town, my family when I celebrated my silver jubilee in 2015, we all gathered down there, you know, it's a nice place for for that. Um but part of part of land is important to us. We believe that um, not not so much about the acquisition of land and yeah. having the more land that we have, the person who has the best toy wins kind of right. a thing. It's not about that. We believe in the—that's why we don't allow people to hunt down there because we believe that—we believe very much in the beauty of the land. So we want to keep things— Nice and neat and clean. So if you come up to the monastery, the trees are trimmed, the grass is clipped, you know, and it, it's a beautiful, peaceful place to be. The so walk
0: around the cemetery is just beautiful.
1: Right. So part of part of the reason why we leave that land down there is we do appreciate the deer and the wildlife and the tons of
0: turkeys. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh,
1: but the other thing is we we think that it's important for us to let nature be nature so there are lots of i don't know if you knew this or not but the biology department at the college has gone down there to do you know testing of the different flowers and the flora and the fauna that are down there and there are some uh different kinds of plants that are down there that are only there right because it's undisturbed right
0: oh that's very cool yeah So where do you see yourself going in the job? Is it a lifetime appointment like the Supreme Court?
1: (laughs) No, thank you, God. (laughs) I am about a fourth of my way done through the role. It's a six-year term, and so it will... 2023 is the... So are there term
0: limits? Can Can you be elected again? Has that happened?
1: Well, for Mother Jerome... It it happened. She was in in leadership for 29 it's years. It's like FDR. Ah, <laughs> I just can't even imagine that. One of the things that it would, if, if like, let's say we were in a, a building project or some major thing at that time, you can do a thing through canon law that you could, it's called postulating. So you'd have to get permission to allow that person to take on, and I think it's three more years that they could do. Um, But you know what? We really believe in the importance of sharing that leadership with, and there are lots of people in community that could do this role and that are capable of it. So it isn't a thing where it's a powerful or a power hungry role. Well, and
0: actually leadership a lot of times is figuring out how to empower the next, right? right? Exactly.
1: exactly. Uh,
0: which is something that as I get a little older, I'm starting to learn and let go and, uh, of my business life too. You know, it used to be, I had to do everything. And now I understand real power is making choices to step away.
1: <laughs> but one of the real things that's just been a, a huge growth thing for me and a, a growing thing, uh, I have been so blessed to be able to be with our sisters in their very best times. And when things aren't so great, sitting with them in the hospital when they're waiting for surgery or, you know, um, when they've lost a family member or it's it's those kinds of things. It's the pastoral kinds of things that have helped me to grow the most. And that's been a really of that's, I think, where God has called me to grow the most in that area.
0: Well, this has been a really fun conversation. I'd like to invite you to say if there's anything that that we didn't get to or that uh, you would like people to understand about your community and how they can engage.
1: So when I was a a sophomore, when I came back from my freshman year in college, one of my classmates, Father David Korth, um, left. And we were really good friends my freshman year. And he was gone. And I said, Where's Dave? What's up? And they said, "Oh, you didn't know he became a priest. He went to the seminary or he's going to become a priest. I'm like, what and i I really wish that we could have talked about that together because I already was starting to think about being a sister too. I just want people to know that it's a very valid way of life, you know it's not a a dark and um, secretive and mysterious that this is a real way of life and people do pray together. People still pray. People still stand up for social justice things. People still watch out for each other. And that's what our sisters are all about. And we live a life of simplicity, but yet we've been blessed by God and hopefully we can share those blessings with other people. So it is a very valid way of life. So come check us out if you're thinking that God is sending you a a vocation to the religious life
0: yeah because he might be uh, you might think you want 12 kids but one day you could be
1: Prioris. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well happy birthday and thank thanks, you so ben. much for, for talking with us today thanks
1: thanks for having me
0: well thanks for listening to today's episode of the lanyard we'll be back next week with another interview with somebody making their community more interesting thanks for subscribing We're on all the platforms, including Apple, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you like to listen to podcasts, we are there. Make sure you subscribe. We'll be back next week.